welcome back to another episode of the Veterinary Public Health Podcast. Kate has left me to my own week, which is a um, it's a pretty big mistake. So expect zero structure for the next few minutes of your experience. Um, this said, we do have a special guest here with us today at the Veterinary Public Health Podcast. It is Dr. Sarah Babington. She is a fellow veterinarian uh, in the industry. She works for RSPCA as a scientific officer in farm animals and is a woman that's achieved a remarkable amount in such a short time in her career. G'day, Sarah. Hi, Nick. Thank you for the very kind introduction. How's it going? Good, thank you. I'm really, really excited to be here and chat to you. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. Um, so can you tell, tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yep, sure. So I'm a veterinarian as well, um, as Nick touched on, and I'm currently working uh, for RSPCA Australia. So I'm a scientific officer there, uh, and I kind of specialise, I guess you could say, in farm animals, um, and in particular, pigs and poultry. That's great. I mean, a lot of people, when they think of RSPCA, generally think of cats and dogs. And to have someone that is really representing farm animals in the RSPCA, I think, is a really important thing. Um, so do you want to set the scene for us? So this episode, we're actually going to be talking about antimicrobial use in pigs and poultry. And I've, I've totally forgot to mention that. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, do you want to set the scene? What are what are the common systems used in Australia for uh, farm farming poultry and farming pigs? Yeah, of course. So uh, in Australia, uh, we've got there's the poultry industry as a whole, uh, which includes everything like your meat chickens, your um, egg laying uh, layer hens, your ducks, your turkeys, etc. Um, but for simplicity's sake, I'll just talk about meat chickens. Um, so in that respect, we've got um, your indoor and outdoor production systems. And then for your things like layer hens who produce our eggs, you've got um, a cage systems, there's barn systems, or there's also free range systems. And then other than um, poultry, there's also pork, which is obviously my other specialty, so pigs. And pigs in Australia are usually um, produced either in an indoor or an outdoor free-range system, for example. Right. And obviously different systems work better for different types of breeds. Something that really sets aside production animal medicine in, in terms of chickens and pigs uh, is that you're dealing with population-based problems and presentations much more than an individual. And it requires a bit of a different approach to individual animal care because there's an, not only the econ economy of scale to your advice, but there's animal welfare components, there's herd health, there's withholding periods and export slaughter intervals, the way you treat animals and perform your investigations a little bit different. There's biosecurity that needs to be taken into account from an on-site perspective and a regional perspective and quarantine, etc. The list goes on. And so we've grouped pigs and poultry because there's a lot of overlap in these in these fields. And part of RSPCA's role is how they how a good way to approach uh, the welfare aspects of this and part of a veterinarian's role is how we can treat populations and treating populations may involve antimicrobials so 
what anti what are antimicrobials and what is a withholding period and an export slaughter interval if you want to elaborate on that yeah of course so when we think of an antimicrobial we think of an agent or a drug that kills or stops the growth of a microorganism such as a bacterial infection so antimicrobials in that sense may be used therapeutically so to actually treat a disease or a bacterial infection or they can actually be used preventatively so to prevent a disease from occurring or prevent the disease from spreading in a flock uh, of chickens for example so so what are the implications that this has on withholding periods and export slaughter intervals yeah so withholding period is to define that is actually the required period from when an animal is last treated with say an antimicrobial agent to when that animal uh, may enter the food chain or its products so for example when you know milk or eggs may be used or when that animal may be slaughtered and used for meat um, and that's done to make sure that the antimicrobial residues aren't present in uh, the product the animal product or the meat that we're um, eating yeah so that buffer acts as a time that we can be sure that it's not in the system. And it's it's funny that there's a little bit of a difference between withholding periods that are accepted locally and export slaughter intervals that are accepted internationally, but it, the system is the way it is. And yep. we're not <laughs> here to change it. We're here to just give uh, the factual information. So because because there is a bit of variation, and because withholding periods for drugs can be a little bit different for individual animals, considering that drug may be present in the system for longer if an animal gets dosed higher or that animal is sick and so that antimicrobial is in their system for longer if it's not able to filter it out of their system. We have a system in Australia that tests for antibiotic residues in a random manner called the National Residue Survey. So that'll just send out notifications to abattoirs and that'll tell them uh, collect certain samples randomly to send through for antibiotic screening. And there's also targeted testing, which happens where an abattoir veterinarian may see, it, see a uh, herd or such individual animals that look like they may have been treated with antibiotics and they may choose to test those individuals. So antibiotic use is declared on a national vendor declaration, as we discussed in a previous episode, uh, as well as in withholding periods. The, the withholding periods are checked on those national vendor declarations, I should say. But this is seen as a backup system because we shouldn't be getting it to that point. So, Sarah, are there any other things performed by industry to ensure that antimicrobials are utilised in a, in a prudent manner? Yeah, of course. So uh, the Australian government, we actually developed in 2015 um, a national uh, antimicrobial resistance strategy. And I guess some of the steps that was done in response to this threat of antimicrobial resistance that we face as, uh, on a global scale. And some of the things involved in that um, were all around how to use antimicrobials um, responsibly. Some of those things included, you know, ensuring withholding periods are upheld, but also things like developing an antimicrobial stewardship plan. Uh, so the major industries like Australian Pork Limited or the Meat Chicken uh, Federation, they 
both have antimicrobial stewardship plans in place. And so those kind of outline the steps that they're taking to ensure that they have responsible use of antibiotics within their industries. And other things that get done are things like uh, survey projects and whatnot, in which we're able to actually survey and determine what the level of resistance of certain antimicrobial agents are uh, within, say, a meat chicken flock in Australia or within our, our pig population in Australia. Another thing to touch on is we, uh, as RSPCA, have our approved farming scheme uh, standards. And within that, for example, our meat chicken standards uh, that were released earlier this year, we now require uh, an antimicrobial stewardship plan to be in place um, for our producers that farm under the scheme. Right, so an antimicrobial stewardship plan is, is that an optional plan that can be taken up by by industry bodies or by uh, individual farmers, or is that a requirement if they go into certain certain programs? So uh, often it is a customer requirement, for example, or it's a requirement under a program. And within the Australian uh, national. Uh, antimicrobial resistance strategy, it actually highlights the importance and the need um, for a stewardship plan. Now, these may not be required. However, when you look at our major industry players, and at least in the case of meat, chickens and pigs, the two major uh, bodies of that industry both have in place uh, antimicrobial stewardship plans. Um, and that basically is ensuring that antibiotics that we use in livestock actually remain effective. Um, and that we can reduce them by optimising other areas of farming, like good biosecurity and good farm management, um, so that we can use as little uh, antimicrobials uh, as we need. Fantastic. And I guess on top of that, the Australian Veterinary Association, the AVA, has also recently released antimicrobial prescribing guidelines for both pigs and poultry. And they've got these guidelines. No, they've also got guidelines being drafted for sheep and dairy, which will be out in the near future for those that are interested. But uh, what is the legislative oversight and standard regarding their use in Australia? Yep. So in Australia, uh, there's kind of uh, several agencies involved in the regulations of antimicrobial use in livestock. So your um, big player is the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicines Authorities. So this is the peak body that actually controls what a withholding period is for each antimicrobial drug that we may utilise. And they also are responsible for the regulation until that drug is sold. And then on a state and territory base, those governments are responsible for controlling the use of the chemicals and how they're actually used in each state and territory. I guess another thing to note is antimicrobials are only allowed to be used where they've been prescribed by a registered veterinarian. Um, so that's why the AVA plays a critical role in how we use um, antimicrobials because they're in charge and responsible for working. They're our main body in terms of as veterinarians. So they're kind of who informs us as registered veterinarians on how best to use and prescribe uh, antimicrobials we're doing so. That sounds really great. So I guess the AVA is really important in setting not only the guidelines, but acting as a leader in, in the industry for how they should be prescribed 
And if you don't mind, I'll elaborate a little bit on those AVA guidelines. Yep, go for it. So the aim of any antimicrobial stewardship program is to ensure that any use of antimicrobials is minimized and purposeful. And that's where they came up with the concept of the three R's, which are to reduce, refine and replace. So reduce the amount of antimicrobial required, refine your use of it so that you're only using it at the appropriate times and replace antimicrobials with good husbandry practices or good hygienic practices. Trying to mitigate the risk of antimicrobial resistance in animal production systems that enter human populations is really imperative because we do want to minimize any risk of antimicrobial resistance. Having said that, the World Health Organization has research suggesting that a lot of the antimicrobial resistance that we see in humans is mainly due to prescription outside of the veterinary field, which is good, but it's still it's still important that we maintain that level of uh, integrity. The stewardship guidelines do exemplify that there is only a limited range of rest registered products available for use in production systems, and vets can prescribe off-label but never against the label so any vets out there will know that on a label it'll give a often vague dosing regime or animals that it's registered for now if a label says you can do something it doesn't mean you can't do anything else and oftentimes vets are doing things off the label however it's only when the label says this should not be used for x purpose is when we're not allowed to use that antimicrobial for a different for that purpose. And it comes down to the registration of that antimicrobial. And sorry for rambling, but something that was so interesting that I learned from the AVA guidelines and uh, the withholding, withhold, looking at withholding periods is that the withholding periods of antimicrobials haven't actually changed since they were registered, most of which were registered before I was even born, decades and decades ago. And that doesn't really reflect how we use antimicrobials these days because there's changes in resistance patterns and changes in how we use those antimicrobials. And if a withholding period remains unchanged, even though everything else changes, then veterinarians have to sort of fly, bl fly blind a little bit when prescribing off-label and thinking about what an appropriate withholding period might be. So it's certainly an area that I'd like to see a bit more research performed around. I guess something else that was stated in the AVA guidelines, Sarah, is the five rights. Do you do you have an idea about what the five rights sort of sort of mean for us as vets? Yeah, I can elaborate on that for you, Nick. Uh, so the five uh, rights are using the right drug at the right dose at the right time by the right route. Uh, and for the right duration. So they gave a really great mantra and I guess guideline for how veterinarians should be utilizing um, antimicrobials when uh, they're looking at treating a disease in any animal. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good mantra to have for all vets to keep in the back of your head. And we always do have that innately when we are prescribing, but Reminding yourself of that when you're going off-label is so important. The considerations for antimicrobial use have been dissected into far, far greater detail than just those five rights in the prescribing guidelines, and they go into depth with about 22 
foundational principles regarding what responsible antimicrobial use actually looks like. I won't go into them in this podcast, but I would implore every vet to just have a read of those 22 core principles because I, I found them fantastic. It also it also goes into a large list of ways producers uh, have and can reduce the need for antimicrobial use. So mostly around husband, husbandry practices and, and good hygienic practices. However, it also goes into systems like, like batch systems, better ventilation, better cleaning practices, training of staff for disease identification, etc. And it's a lot of little things that when they add up, they, they really make a big difference as, as to not only the animal's experience at the end of the day, but the requirement for having drugs needed at the end of the day as well. So, Sarah, having, having all these systems is great and having good stewardship plans and a national residue survey and, and good industry-led devices as to how we, can, how we can manage our antimicrobial use is really great. So what, what are some of the reasons we actually do use antimicrobials in intensive farming systems? So I think an important thing to note here, and I guess why we use antimicrobials in intensive farming, is good health of an animal is synonymous with ensuring good welfare. Uh, so to have good welfare for these animals, uh, like our meat chickens and our pigs, it's very important that we also uh, obviously protect their health, uh, which is why antimicrobials might be used. I guess, unfortunately, and where antimicrobial use gets a bad rap, is where they use prophylactically as a band-aid um, for poor management practices. And as you touched on, uh, you know, good biosecurity and good management practices on farm are so critical to ensuring um, we minimise the use of antimicrobials and we only use them where they're absolutely necessary. So the reason we may use them, though, is in the event that we do get a disease outbreak, um, such as an infectious disease, in which case we're actually for the welfare of that animal and for the health of that animal um, to prevent any suffering or pain, uh, we need to treat those animals with the appropriate antibiotic so that they may get better. And I guess intensive industries differ in comparison to say, you know, you take your dog or cat to the vet or even say uh, cattle where you're just treating the one animal, whereas in pig and poultry industries, you're often actually treating uh, the population or the whole shed of animals um, just because of the number of them. So that means the antimicrobials are often uh, given to the animals through, say, their water or their food. So I, I guess one of the follow-up questions around that would be, does the nature of intensive farming mean that we have to use antimicrobials in some points in order to reduce the risk of these illnesses coming about and outbreaks happening or or do we see a different amount of antimicrobials used in say a less intense pig or poultry operation so that's a really interesting point and i think very pertinent because we do see the need for antimicrobials to differ depending on the type of housing system you may have animals in. And I think the type of housing system, you know, whether or not these animals are housed indoors or outdoors, um, definitely determines their risk level um, in terms of whether or not they may be at a higher risk of contracting infectious diseases. But I think the most important thing is, is where biosecurity measures are put in place or 
appropriate management systems in terms of good farming, like maintaining uh, good litter quality for meat chickens and good ventilation uh, and ensuring um, sheds are clean uh, and disinfecting equipment where it's required, depending on the housing system, and it may differ in what good management looks like, depending on the housing system. That's the critical thing we need to implement to ensure we reduce the amount of antibiotics um, we may need um, to use uh, in yeah, the farming yeah. industries. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so good that you, you press that point about the different systems having to have different imperatives attached to them. So when you have a free range farm, the illnesses that you commonly see may be quite different to the illnesses that you commonly see in a intensive operation. And the way you go about treating that will also be different because it may not be as simple as putting it out in the feed. Or even even if it is, there are other considerations that you do need to take into account, like wild animals access to that feed. So everything everything sort of feeds into the system as a whole when you approach it. And I guess if we were to sort of take a case study about a typical 500 sow pig farm, where every incremental 1% increase in mortality and every 10 gram reduction in growth per day will cost that farmer. And so for a typical respiratory disease that hits a pig farm, that results in just a 3% or 1% or 2% death in their sales and typical reduction in, in growth rate, that farmer is easily up for about $9,000 in the first month alone. So it's really important not only for veterinarians, but for the people that manage those animals to, to look at early detection of disease and, and treat with antimicrobials appropriately, not only for economy but for as you outlined animal welfare purposes so what are what are some considerations i guess i i just jumped the gun a little bit and touched on a few but what are some of the tricky considerations that we need to consider for antimicrobial use in pigs and poultry yeah i'm happy to touch on that um and you've made a really good point i think one of the common arguments against um, free-range systems often is that there can be an increased risk of infectious diseases because of it being um, a different housing system and, you know, animals are allowed outside and they have that outdoor access and they may be exposed to a few more infectious agents. And that just kind of highlights how they need different um, biosecurity and management systems in place. Um, to ensure that the risk can be appropriately controlled. Um, and that doesn't mean that free range is any worse um, than a non-free range system. In terms of the actual practicalities around it, like I touched on before, because you're working with such large numbers of animals, it's a lot more complex when it comes to treating an animal. And often you're looking at treating the entire flock or the entire herd, if it was pigs. And this is often done through administering the antibiotics um, through their feed or their water, which can be tricky because obviously, and you may know as yourself, like when you feel unwell, um, you can often not want to drink or not want to eat, which is why diagnostics is so critical and early diagnostics. So as soon as we can detect an issue in a flock or a herd of animals, 
that there's something wrong, it's important to treat that um, not only with an effective antibiotic, but also to appropriately diagnose what the issue is so that we can choose the best treatment for those animals and the best, I guess, route, whether or not is it best to do it through feed, is it best to do it through water, or is it best to just treat a few individual animals that are affected with the disease and prevent the spread of it to the rest of uh, the animals. So I guess it's more complex because there's just so many more animals that we're dealing with. And as you said, there's also always an economic component. Um, unfortunately, that needs to be considered when we look at uh, intensive farming and any type of farming system because these are businesses. Yeah, it's it's really important how you mentioned diagnostics because a lot of a lot of people will think right we should only administer antimicrobials when it's appropriate to do so when we've got a diagnosis however oftentimes we are required to administer antimicrobials before we have a diagnosis on on clinical signs and history etc alone but you still collect your diagnostics you still you still perform your diagnostics you still samples i should say um, when you start empirical antimi antimicrobial treatment, because if the if the results of that come back as this is a resistant organism to the antibiotics you're using, or this this is not a bacterial disease, then you can appropriately tailor your antimicrobials to that. The other thing that you always need to consider is with the antimicrobials you use, you have to consider that withholding period that we mentioned earlier and. It's so difficult, in, especially in poultry, where broiler chickens, the meat chickens, have such a short lifespan. Their lifespan is like 34 days or something. So there's not many drugs that, they can, that we as vets can give that have such a short meat withholding period that will allow those birds to, to still be able to be processed. Same in the layer, layered chicken industry. Those layers are going to be producing eggs even when they're on antibiotics. And so we have to consider the fact that the farmer's going to be losing eggs as well as the time, the, the cost of the antimicrobials. Um, oftentimes, pigs and poultry will go off their feed and water when they're sick. And as you highlighted, you, you're going to be under the weather a bit. But it also means that you're going to have to dose higher because they're not going to be having as much as the rest of the birds. But it also means that the the rest of the birds are going to be having a higher dose of the antibiotics. So you're sort of at a catch-22, and, and that's where vets sort of run into problems with calculating an off-label withholding period because you can't be sure what dose each individual bird's going to get. Is that is that Am I sort of on the right track here, Sarah? Yeah, and I think the important thing here is that it's obviously, uh, and as I think we've both shown, it is such a complex um, situation. And I think it highlights the importance of having adequate surveillance of antimicrobial uh, use and resistance within intensive industries, such as the poultry and pig industry. And, you know, at the moment, we do have levels of surveillance, um, but not enough. And there's definitely a need for more surveillance of antimicrobial resistance within, say, uh, the Australian meat chicken flock, because then we'd be able to make better informed decisions around how we were treating our animals and what antimicrobials we were using. And I guess additionally, you know, having that be transparent and publicly reported 
um, does also provide the public with some assurance around how we use antimicrobials in these intensive uh, farming industries. Yeah, that's, and I'm so sorry, I might catch you off guard here, but um, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on that? What do we know about the resistance currently and, and why do you say we do need to know a bit more information publicly? Yeah, so um, we have had and there have been several projects undertaken uh, by industry as well as by the government in terms of um, doing a general surveillance of, you know, what are our levels of antimicrobial resistance within, say, our meat chicken Australian flock or uh, the pigs in Australia. And what that helps inform us is what antimicrobials are no longer effective because resistance has been built up, but it also shows us... Uh, you know, what antimicrobials we really need to protect because they may only be effective, they may be the only effective um, antimicrobial for a specific bacterial infection. Uh, so it just helps us rank what are the really important antimicrobials and what are the ones that aren't as uh, pressing that we need to protect. But I think it also shows us what are the most common diseases that we're treating and that helps inform us how can we reduce how we're using our antimicrobials, what could we replace that with, uh, better ways that we could do farming and management techniques to help control the risk of those diseases occurring. And I think, you know, there is such a confusion and misunderstanding often in the public about how antimicrobials are used in livestock industries. The more transparent we can be around how we use them and how we regulate them and why we use them, I think it does provide that assurance um, to the public uh, and help with just education uh, around the topic itself. Oh, I, I, t I couldn't agree more. Education, communication and transparency are, are big themes that if any of our listeners have heard other podcasts, I do I do like to emphasise those points because they're the only way that we can stop misinformation setting people astray, sort of, especially here in Australia where not only the government but the industry does do quite a lot internally in, in trying to make best practice imperative because this is them investing in their future and $1 invested today is $100 uh, worth of prevention in the future so that that's something that the industry does know i feel but but it certainly can be translated to the wider community a lot better and and i think the more freely accessible that information is disseminated not only will it help the community but it will also help the industry in in return so i i couldn't agree more with that statement yet um all this said i i guess there's a little bit of sort of going a bit off topic now, we, we sort of neglected organic production systems. What role do they have in the bigger picture here? So organic's a tricky one. And I think it's important to note um, that when we talk about organic production, uh, the type of organic farming system that's utilised is purely dependent on the certifying body. So um, who is certifying that that product is organic? And that highlights the importance of the consumer to do their own research in terms of uh, what that certifying body's standards are around the production of those animals and how those animals are farmed. I think an important thing to note is um, where antibiotics are not used or where something is labelled as antibiotic-free, such as often is the case for organic production, 
that means that that animal has never received any microbials in its lifetime. Now, in organic production, that doesn't mean an animal can't uh, receive antibiotics, but it means as soon as that animal, say if it was sick and it needed treatment, it can no longer be an organic product in the end of its life because it's received that antibiotics. Um, so I guess in some sense, it's important to note that organic doesn't necessarily signify any type of welfare status in terms of certification. It's purely a type of farming system in regards to the type of feed that that animal is fed and the type, the way that that animal is produced. Usually they're not they're not provided antibiotics, and if they are, they then have to be removed, uh, which can have some interesting consequences because uh, in some cases, as we've discussed, it is in the interest of animal welfare and of the animal's health that uh, antimicrobials are prescribed uh, when prescribed responsibly. Mm, that And that's another pressing point on top of that is if you don't see meat that's labelled as antibiotic-free, that doesn't mean that it does have antibiotics in it. The meat in Australia does not have antibiotic residues in it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's so important and there's often a lot of confusion around that. So when something is labelled as antibiotic-free, it means that that animal has never received antibiotic treatment in its lifetime. But that doesn't mean, so your normal meat that you get from the supermarket that's not labelled as antibiotic-free, that meat still does not have antimicrobials in it because we've got these things like withholding periods, which ensures that we don't have residues of antimicrobials in our meat products. It just yeah. means that that animal, some point in its lifetime, just like you and me, sometimes need a treatment of antibiotics that animal may have required a treatment of antibiotics in its lifetime. Yeah, and by far and away, 99% of the beef that we have in our supermarkets will never have had antibiotics given to it in its life either. I mean, um, if, if a farmer had to call a vet out every time to treat their herd, farming in Australia just wouldn't be economically viable. So, yeah, we, we, we just wanted to make that point clear to everyone. So we've spoken a, quite a bit about how antimicrobials are used in Australia and how pigs and poultry are, are, are treated in more herd situation, whereas cattle are much more individualised. Do you have much insight as to how that compares to what happens in other countries? Um, yeah, so I have a little bit. Um, so Australia as a whole, we're actually um, quite conservative and very proactive in our approach around the use of uh, antimicrobials in our livestock industries, which is really great um, because we are really careful and wary of how we use them. Um, so we in the pigs and poultry industry, uh, we do not uh, use antibiotics uh, as growth promotants. So I think that's often a misconception. Um, so Antimicrobials in intensive industries, such as pigs and poultry in Australia, are only used um, to either prevent or treat uh, disease. So uh, in other countries overseas, um, they may actually allow the use of antimicrobials as, I guess, a growth promotant. But that doesn't occur uh, here with our pigs and poultry. Um, I think another thing to point out is um, the World Health Organization, um, you know, they classify our antimicrobials in different importance. And I think it's important to note that in Australia, none of the really important, critically important human 
antibiotics, so the ones that, you know, are very important for human medicine, they're not routinely used or really used at all uh, in our livestock industries uh, in Australia. So very few um, antimicrobials that we use in human medicine are actually used for animals. And it's actually often we're using completely different drugs um, for our animals. I can definitely attest to that. Our our listeners will know Kate here. Um, she she's a human doc, and when she talks about antibiotics, I know one or two of the hordes that they have the luxury to use in the human <laughs> in the human system. But alas, uh, we are where we are, which I think is a good thing because, by and large, the antimicrobials that we do have in veterinary medicine are able to treat the majority of the things we see, which is which is great here in Australia. Other than that, I, I can just not thank you enough, Sarah, for, for being here. Um, are there any other misconceptions or uh, lasting remarks that you want to you want to leave our audience with? Um, so I think we've touched on most of them and I hope uh, I've been clear in um, my points. And I think <laughs> probably the last and most important thing to point out is uh, and just highlight the fact that antimicrobial use, where it's used responsibly and needed, um, is beneficial for the health of these animals as well as uh, their welfare. And I think the critical and most important part about how we use antimicrobials is, you know, all around this um, antimicrobial stewardship in the sense of doing it responsibly and where we can, uh, you know, reducing and refining and replacing uh, our use of antimicrobials so that we uh, don't get uh, more resistance than we already have. Yeah, I guess for me, there's there's a few pertinent points. The the five rights, which are uh, just to remind everyone, the right drug, the right dose, the right time, the right route, and the right duration are super important and especially important to remember when we haven't got very accurate withholding periods. Antimicrobials are definitely good for animal welfare when they are used appropriately, especially when you've got good biosecurity practices in place and good management. It's it's just another tool in your rep- repertoire. Uh, you can definitely reduce waste by reducing the mortality, which is great for environmental sustainability by salvaging animals that do get sick with antimicrobials. Um, good antimicrobial stewardship means that we will have effective antimicrobials for longer and reduce the risk of resistance entering human populations and i just yeah highly recommend every production animal vet to read those antimicrobial prescribing guidelines um i think they were great i learned a lot i hope everyone else does too because yeah it's it's really worth worth a read other than that i yeah i am just stoked to have been able to have you on with us sarah you've been fantastic no, thank you, Nick. And I will take the opportunity um, because otherwise uh, I might get in trouble to shamelessly plug. We do actually have a humane food podcast um, for RSPCA and they actually have a episode in season two on antimicrobial use as well. Um, and that's actually um, talked by from the aspect from uh, Coles and uh, she probably does um, a great job uh, in explaining you know um, some of the points I've tried to touch on today so it'd be great if people could give that um, a listen as well if they're interested yeah thank you thank you so much for having me Uh, and it's been it's been so great to chat to you
Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. So for anyone that didn't catch that, that was the Humane Food Podcast. Please share and su- subscribe. Anyone that is listening, we'd love to hear feedback from you at vphpodcast at gmail.com and like us on Instagram. And yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you.